Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dean McKenzie. My name's Dean McKenzie and I'm the marriage pastor here at the River. Uh, very passionate about marriage because I'm so passionate about marriage, I'm sure you understand and know what my message is going to be about. That's right, tithing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Actually, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to continue uh, our, our series on fooling around. Uh, and when you associate fooling around with marriage, it might not be what you think it is, okay? Uh, we're going to deal with fooling around with your marriage and not fooling around in your marriage. Of course, if you're doing the other, stop it, okay? Uh, but uh, according to it, let me, let me give you this. Uh, I, I do love marriage. Uh, I think God created it. I've uh, been married for a while myself, and here are my credentials. That's right. I know what you're thinking. You look at that, and you're saying, man, that guy married up. And you are right. I married up. No doubt about it. We just celebrated our 26th anniversary. That's right. She's, she kept me. She kept me. Uh, but I want to tell you this. Uh, God has a plan for marriage. And when we look at the statistics in the world today, it's really tough to see uh, that uh, people aren't really following that plan. In fact, according to some of the latest statistics, the divorce rate has actually dropped, which is a good thing. I mean, it's 35 to 45% inside and outside the church. So that should tell you about something about our thoughts on marriage. 22% of those marriages happen in the first five years. Now, because the marriage rate has dropped, that can be encouraging, but I I will give you this piece of advice. In the last 50 years, marriages as a whole have declined 60%. So people don't value marriage anymore. In fact, they, they feel like they can get what they want by just living together and not making that commitment, that covenant under God uh, of actually marrying the person. So we're going to talk about a few things uh, about that. Uh, God created marriage, and the cool thing is God gave us instructions on how to walk it out. Well, let's pray first. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that we know that marriage is a gift from you. Father, I pray that as we talk about these things today, your word, that it resonate with people and that uh, they want to make their marriage better wherever they are in the spectrum. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I will tell you, full transparency, though we've been married for 26 years, the first 12 years were pretty bad. I was not a good husband. Uh, In fact, you could say I was a terrible husband, and that would be accurate. But uh, it took, took me uh, the act of almost losing my wife and my family to finally let God speak into my life. Uh, and so and from that point on, Christy and I, we devoted our lives to do it God's way. 
So those first 12 years we refer to as our marriage 1.0, the last 14 has been 2.0, and 2.0 has been really good. Uh, but there's a lot of moving parts to marriage, and in 35 minutes, it's going to be difficult for me to explain a godly marriage to you all, so I'm going to hit some highlights of it. And the first thing I want to talk about is priority in marriage, priority in marriage. And if you're following in your sermon guide there, that first point is Jesus must be the center of your marriage. Matthew 6, says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus must be the center of our marriage, not what's left over. In our 1.0 marriage, that's where we were. Uh, we had children, uh, we had jobs, we had ministries, we had all of those things, and Jesus was, Jesus received what was left over. He wasn't the very center of our marriage. And I will tell you that uh, part of me being a bad husband was my priorities were so messed up. I'll tell you, my first priority was me. And then the second priority was me. And the third priority was me. Uh, and then my wife and God and my children were somewhere in that mix. Now, it's something I'm not very proud of, but God got a hold of me, and he changed that in me. So Christy loves to say today that we have a perfect marriage, two imperfect people that rely on a perfect God, and that couldn't be more true. No matter what conflict that we have, and even though we have a perfect marriage, we still have conflict, and we looked at, look at that as an opportunity to make our marriage better, but we always meet at Christ. That's our center. That's our anchor. That's our hub. Everything that we do centers around all of that. And when God's not the center of our marriage, of your marriage, we tend to expect too much from our spouse. All the things that God wanted to give us that he can, where he meets our deepest needs and acceptance and identity and eternal security and purpose, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus and he's not the center, we place all of that on our spouse to fulfill. And they can't do it. And we set our marriages up for failure. I am a really good dean. I am a terrible Jesus. So if marriage is, if Jesus isn't the center of our marriage, we will never be fulfilled because our spouse can't do that. I don't perfectly love Christy. I love Christy as much as I am capable of. Uh, and, I, and I try to love her more every day. But I, I don't love her perfectly, and she doesn't love me perfectly. But God does. He loves her perfectly. He loves her permanently, and he loves her powerfully. And you know what? He loves me the same way. And if God's not the center of your marriage, you can't receive any of that. And he has that for us. And when we get married today, because we, we, we counsel a lot of people, and we see that people go into marriage with this idea of a contract. You know, you hold up your end of the deal, and I'll hold up mine. But if you don't, I'm out. 
you know? And that's not what we, when we get married in the eyes of God and we make that covenant with God, that means that no matter how our spouse behaves, we're gonna be obedient to God and we're gonna hold up our end. You know, I'm not always lovable. Uh, I know that's hard to believe. Uh, but there are times when Christy struggles maybe just to like me, you know, but that doesn't diminish her obedience to God. She still holds up all those marriage vows, whether I deserve it or not, and vice versa. So God is the center of that. It's two people trying to be obedient to God no matter how the other person acts. And then today it's like, If you just don't do your part, I'm not doing my part. I won't love you. I won't respect you unless you do this, that, or the other thing. So what we did in our marriage from 1.0 to 2.0 is we intentionally learned what God had to say about marriage. And we read everything. And then we tried to actually learn how to walk that out. And that was 14 years ago, and we're still learning. So... It really doesn't end. The second part of that priority is, after God, your spouse should be number one in your life. Genesis 2.24 says this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two of you are united into one. Some translations say one flesh. That was a big one for us. What does that look like? How am I one flesh with my spouse? Well, she's the other half of me. There's no more private Dean. There's private Dean and Christy. There's no more protecting Dean. It's protecting Dean and Christy. Our, our marriage is number one priority next to God. And everything else takes a back seat to that. Now, we know that because we know that marriage only works if it's in first place. And this was easy at the beginning of the honeymoon. You guys remember? Uh, everything was good. Everything was shiny. Everything was new. It was easy to get along. There, and maybe the first year you learned some things, you know, there was hair in the sink or toothpaste on the mirror, or, you know, whatever that was. But it was, still, it was still really good. Everything was new. And then there were children. And things started to change. And the marriage itself became less of a priority. Uh, It's pretty certain that when children come into the picture, now mamas, don't hate me. You're great nurturers. God created you to nurture your children, and you're really good at it. But what happens is the children tend to take first place in the marriage And because of that, then the men kind of focus on their careers. So marriage satisfaction at that point kind of wanes a little bit. Uh, And then it gets a little bit different. Uh, Children start to enter junior high and high school, uh, and they're more active. You know, they're in this ball, that ball, the other ball, and you're traveling weekends and every, you know, four different things a day, and they got piano lessons and all that kind of stuff and dance lessons. And so the marriage suffers even more at that point, okay? The kids need more time. They need chauffeurs. Uh, They need a lot more attention, and they certainly need more money. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So the marriage satisfaction at that point is probably at its lowest point, okay? And then once the kids 
grow and they get ready to leave the house, you know, 18 or 19 or 36, uh, then people, what husbands and wives discover is they have not poured into each other and they, they don't know who each other are. And we hear this phrase a lot, they're not the man I married. They're not the woman that I married. And that's because we've been focused on our kids for so long, we've forgotten to keep up with our spouse. So you fight this battle of trying to get back on track. I remember when our youngest uh, son, Connor, was about two years out from uh, moving out of the house, and and we knew he wanted to go. He couldn't wait to go. Uh, And we were sitting in the living room one night, and we were going, "Uh, he's leaving, and what are we going to do? You know, and we were like, oh, we really don't know each other anymore. Can we sustain our marriage when we're not serving children? So we really had to focus on learning each other and spending time together again. Marriages or families don't build around children. They need to build around the marriage. And if you're a blended family, that becomes even more important. Uh, you, because you're a blended family, there's a lot of hurt there maybe with you know, a divorce or something like that, and we try to administer, minister to our children in a way that um, might, might be overboard sometimes, and we give them our full attention, and we kind of neglect our spouse at that point. So keep the priority straight. God, your spouse your children, and then everything else. And it really needs to work that way. The next point that people tend to uh, forget uh, is studying your spouse. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And 1 Peter 3.7 says, in the same way, You husbands, give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. So in case you didn't know, you didn't marry yourself. And pretty pretty quick within the marriage, first year or so, you begin to see the differences. And compatibility is not built on sameness. Compatibility is built on character, and values. And I'm really glad that I didn't marry somebody who was just like me because that would be disastrous. But you have to know these differences. And once we get out of that honeymoon stage, we tend to forget to start studying our spouse. And look, life happens. You know, the world comes at you. You have jobs, you have children, you have, you know, whatever the world can throw at you. So things change from when you first got married. Remember when you were dating? And I'm going to date myself here because I'm an older guy. But when when you were dating, you spent a ton of time on the phone with your spouse. Do I remember that? Lots of time, hours. Uh, For some of us who are older, that cell phone was a phone hanging on the kitchen wall with a 30-foot cord. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple older folks in here to understand that. Yeah, but we spent all that time talking to each other. 
trying to learn each other, trying to figure each other out, just listening to what the other person liked and disliked and what their hopes and their dreams were for the future. And then life happens, and we stop doing that. But as life is happening, people are changing. You know, and you get that, did I? That's not who I married. That's a different person. That's, that's not the guy that I married. That's not the woman that I married. So you really have to study your spouse and understand what's going on. Um, when we first met, when Chris and I first met, I couldn't think of anything else. Literally, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about her. Of course, now I can't sleep because of my back. But, uh, you know, but at the beginning, that's what it was about. It was about learning and, and wanting to spend every waking moment with, uh, with your spouse. And there's such big differences in husbands and wives. Like the wife's greatest need is love and security. And I, when you hear the word security, guys, you may be thinking about, yeah, I'm, I'm going to protect her. I'm going to, if anybody comes into the house, they've had it, you know. If anybody says a bad word to my spouse, that's it. And that's true. They, they do need that. And we are the protectors, and that's fine. But the real security is they want to be heard. They want to be understood. They want to be valued I spent eight years in the military and had men underneath me and had to make what we call command decisions. If you were in the military, you understand what that means. I couldn't make a good decision until I got the intel from everybody and how they saw it. And I, we have chose to go through life with this person that we're married to. And they see things in a different way than what we see them. My wife is super smart. I'm an idiot if I don't listen to her opinion before a decision is made. She sees things completely different than I do, sometimes a lot better. And I don't have to be right. I have to be a guy that takes in all the information and values that information and then make a decision. So Ephesians 5 tells husbands to love your wife like Christ loves the church and give yourself up for them. And I looked at that and I thought, what does that really mean? We hear that a lot from the pulpit. What is that? How do we walk that out? What does that mean? And if you're going to be a leader, to me, a leader is the biggest servant in the room. I need to serve my wife. I need to be sacrificial for my wife. And we always have this question of men, and we ask them, will you die for your wife? And they're like, yeah, I'd die for my wife. I'd take a bullet, you know? But my question is, will you live for your wife? Will that be what you do? You give yourself over for them. And ladies, it's the same thing. If you have two people in a marriage that are constantly sacrificing and serving for serving each other you never want for anything all the needs and all the wants are met right up front so i also hear this uh i never understand women mostly from guys 
I never understand women. I don't understand my wife. Uh, but I don't understand women at all. You don't need to understand women. You need to understand your wife. I just need to understand Christy. I don't need to understand the rest of you. It gives me a headache. <laughs> but I just need to know my wife. And I study her to know my wife. Men's greatest need is respect. Ladies, I don't want to respect him. He doesn't give me any reason to respect him. Lord says, respect your husbands. We live by obedience to what the Lord says. So whether your husband deserves it or not, you're to respect him. And I will tell you something about men. When you set the bar of respect up here and they don't deserve it, men, for the most part, really rise to the occasion. And they will rise to that, well, she's respecting me. Well, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'm there. Let's give her a reason to respect me. Men tend to rise up to that occasion. But you, you got to study these differences, okay? One of the biggest differences in Christy and I is communication skills. I have none. She has a ton. Actually, my wife has many words. I do not. I'm like, let's get to the rat killing and give me the facts. And she takes this scenic route about things. Eight years in the military. Keep that in mind. She was telling me a story one day, and I went. <laughs> Eight years in the military, that is the closest to a near-death experience that I've ever had. <laughs> Those details are important to her. They make her tick. And sometimes she gives really good information inside all those little details. So now I let her have at it, and I pay close attention because there's a quiz. <laughs> so, but I really do pay attention to what she's saying to me. So it's important to know those differences. My wife is very social. Uh, I'm not. Uh, so she shines in social settings, and I let her shine. If I'm going to be the leader... I need to know where my strengths are, and that's her. So I let her take the lead. My wife remembers, if you don't know, my wife is in the children's ministry, so all of your babies are being taken care of, Christy, and she does a fantastic job. But you will notice that she remembers everybody's name, everybody's phone number, everybody's birthday, shoe size. No, I'm not shoe size, but she remembers details about everybody. And I'm sorry, I know all of your faces, but I will not remember everybody's name. I'm terrible with names. So in social settings, I walk very close to her, shoulder to shoulder, and when somebody comes up and, I, you know, my, my thing is, hey, man, <laughs> how you doing? And I just look at her, and she says, Bob Smith, <laughs> you know, so, she gives me the name, and we work together that way. Here's the thing that's happening in marriages that we've seen. People get adversarial to each other. They see these differences in each other, and it becomes points of contention, and they butt heads. 
oh, I can't, I, she does things different than I, he does things different than I do, you know, and it's a problem. We don't see eye to eye on these things. This is where you figure out the differences and you figure out how they fit together. So you complement each other, you hold each other up. Where she is weak, I'm strong. Where I'm strong, uh, sorry, where I'm weak, she's strong. And we allow each other to take the lead in those areas. You understand? Instead of fighting with each other, how do you come alongside each other and hold each other up? And part of that is, while we're studying each other, is to get to know how life has changed each other. What are your hopes and dreams currently? Not when we got married 20 years ago. I knew what they were then. They changed. How do you feel about things now? Uh, when you do that, guys, put down the remote or the phone. And ladies, uh, when I mean guys, I mean all of you. Put down the remote or the phone and look at each other and have communication where you have understanding of what each other is talking about in there. Uh, who's heard of the love language test? Yeah, who's taking it? Five of you. I'm just kidding. There's free tests online. It just kind of determines what your love language is, what, what you dig, okay? Uh, we always tell all, everybody in our re-engage classes to take the love language test. And here's why. Uh, first part of our marriage, my, my love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. That's what I like. And I thought Christy liked the same thing. So I was physical touch and words of affirmation to my wife. And it was right over her head every time. Come to find out her love language is quality time and acts of service. I didn't know that I was but a clean kitchen away from the night of my dreams. <laughs> I wasted all of that time. But when it comes for my, to my wife to feel loved, those is, that's what she expects, that's what she wants, that's what does it for her. But I was trying to give her my love language. And I would tell you that if you do the love language test, everybody's going to go home and Google's going to be full of love languages. That's great. Take it. Understand each other. But take it again in about two years because it may change. You know, how you feel about things may change. What, what you like and dislike may change. So we do encourage everybody to take it a couple of times. So Figure out how to come alongside each other in those differences. Do you know how to pray for your spouse? Do you know what makes your spouse laugh and cry? Do you know what brings them stress? Do you know what keeps them up at night? What are their current hopes and dreams? They're not what they were when you first got married. If you've been married five years or more, I am sure that a lot of that has changed especially if kids came along somewhere in there. So know those differences, celebrate those differences, figure out how they fit together with you, and not let it be a point of contention where you're bumping heads all the time. Okay, the fourth point is you must extend grace. 
to your spouse. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Grace means unmerited favor. In marriage, it means a non-performance-based relationship. Grace for one another is undeserved love. And I will tell you that in marriage, grace changes everything. It changes everything. We worship a God for his grace. We worship our God for the grace that he gives us. We're saved through that grace. And we worship him for that. But we demand that our spouse live in such a way that they would not need grace. We want our spouse to be perfect. What if marriage was more about holiness than happiness? Marriage is an opportunity for us to practice all of these things that God tells us that we should be. If my wife was absolutely lovable all the time, or I was lovable all the time, how would we ever practice the love of God? How would we ever practice unconditional love with each other if we were perfect? These are all opportunities for us. So our relationship with God is grounded in that grace, and it, may, it must be the same way in our marriage. <clears throat> grace can't be earned. Your spouse should not have to earn your love. Comes back around to that covenant versus a contract. So what does grace look like in marriage? It looks like this. It looks like not focusing on the faults of your spouse. It's choosing to believe the best about your spouse, words, and actions. Christy and I practice this thing called goodwill. Seems really benign. It's really great. And what goodwill means is we want the best for each other. She wants me to be the best dean I can be. I want her to be the best Christy she can be. And no matter how we act toward each other in the moment, we know that we have goodwill for each other. I am not a morning person. Anybody else not morning people? Okay. Christy gets up and she's singing and the birds are flying around her head and, you know, ah, ah, and all that, you know, they're bringing stuff in through the windows and uh, that's my wife. She's just a very joyful person, especially in the morning. And I'm like, you know, the hunchback. Uh, so we respect each other in those moments. You know, she gives me a lot of grace in those moments. Uh, I have, we have a dog. Uh, if you've been to my house, Hawkeye, he's a loving dog. Uh, but he, when he was little, I w when I get home at night, I like to take my shoes and socks off. I just like to be barefoot. Uh, so I put my shoes down, and I put my socks in my shoes, and Hawkeye would come and chew on my socks. So I stopped doing that, and I started to stick them in the couch so the dog couldn't get them, and I would forget about them. My intention was, when we went to bed, to take the socks and put them in dirty clothes. I'd forget all about that. So, you know, a week later, there's like nine pairs of socks, seven pairs of socks stuffed in the couch, and 
You know, and Christy used to get really bent about that. And, and then she started thinking, you know, if he wasn't here, there wouldn't be any socks. And she would rather have me there. You know, the toothpaste in the mirror, the hair in the sink, the toilet paper on the wrong side, whatever, whatever those things are. Don't sweat the small stuff. Give grace. It's not a showstopper, okay? Give grace to each other. Grace causes you to be an advocate for your spouse instead of building a case against them. I am my biggest wife's champion and she mine. We defend each other tooth and nail. I'll defend her even if she's wrong in front of people. And then when we're by ourselves, we'll have a talk about why I thought she was wrong. But I never do that in front of people. I am her biggest champion, and I always will be, and she is mine, and we love that. Grace is loving your spouse in spite of their actions. In spite of their actions. So as we exercise these things, I, I want to tell you, uh, we have a, a program at the river because we love marriages and we want to just pour into people. We have a program called Reengage, and you might have heard it. Uh, it's a 15-week program, very intense. It's very good. It's very loving. And basically what we do is we say, tell you what God's word says about marriage and we help you walk it out. We help you see what that looks like. How do I apply it in my life? And it's been very successful. And here's the thing. It's kind of counseling, but it's kind of not. And guys, we don't like counseling. Statistically, people have to have their marriage in crisis for six years before they seek counseling. That's just crazy. Be proactive in your marriage. Be intentional in your marriage. Make it the number one thing right after God. And I will tell you this too, you cannot put God first in your marriage. You won't understand what grace is unless you have a relationship with Christ. So we try to give everybody an opportunity. If today is the day, if you've been thinking about it, you've been pondering it, you've been praying about it, or whatever it was to get you there, and today is the day that you want to receive Jesus, come on up. We're going to have a time of prayer, an invitation. If you just want to pray by yourself, nobody will bother you, come over on this side of the stage. If you'd like somebody to pray over you, your marriage, whatever you're going through, come over on this side of the stage. And if you want to receive Jesus, come see me. Let's all stand. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.